You're listening to the conservative mic. So listen to this. Listen to this. Okay, listen. We have some bad hombres here. Hi, welcome to the conservative mic. Again, I'm Mike Franzone. Thank you so much for listening. I just want to explain something to you about the conservative mic and about our station. I am, am a Christian. I am a, a preacher, a pastor. So understand that, you know, although we do with, deal with politics, I come from, and we come from here at the conservative mic, from a, a Christian worldview. So you'll hear stuff on politics. You still hear stuff, you know, from the Bible. The Bible says about issues that are we dealing with today. And you'll hear stuff with politics and Christianity kind of mixed. But what I mean by that is even coming from a, a political uh, uh, perspective, everything I do is colored uh, by my Christian uh, belief and who I am as a Christian. So remember, everything's coming from that Christian worldview. So that brings me up for today. We're actually looking at a big, long Bible chapter, Acts chapter 4, when God says yes and the government says no. So again, we'll be dealing with some politics and uh, looking at the scriptures as well. And there comes a time when God says yes and the government says no. So the question is this, and I hope I can answer that today for you guys. <clears throat> when is it right to disobey the civil government? And is civil disobedience an option for Christians? Because I've already told on other past podcasts that Romans 13 says we as Christians are to obey the authorities, we're to pay our taxes, obey the law, <clears throat> and all of those. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 4. It's a very long chapter, so just kind of hang in there. I'll be making a few comments, and that way we'll kind of get our feet wet. Then we'll actually go into the passage, break it down, and we'll try to answer that question, when is it right to disobey uh, the government. I'll begin with Acts chapter 4 and I'll begin with verse 1. The priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now they had just healed someone and they were talking to the people and uh, verse 2 says they were greatly disturbed because the, the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. <clears throat> but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed was about 5,000, it says here. Verse 5 says this, The next day the rulers of the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem, and as the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them. And they began to question them. Here's what they said. <clears throat> By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stand before you healed. Then he quotes <clears throat> from the Bible, from the Old Testament, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13 says that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was the evidence now. This man that they healed, they, you know, the religious leaders there talked about how they wanted to serve God and God this, God that. And here was a man that was lame all of his life that they healed. He's standing there next to them. It says here they could say nothing. Verse 15, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. And then the whole group got together and they started talking about them. They conferred together, it says. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now here it is. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard. It says here that there were further threats. They threatened him some more, Peter and John, and then they let him go. Because they couldn't decide how to punish him, the Bible says. Because all the people were praising God for what had happened, for the many who was man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. That's all the people. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? He quotes another verse from the Old Testament, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. See, they're still praying now. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of the holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, they, the whole meeting place was shaken and they were always all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the big deal here is this, is that they had said that we ought to obey God <clears throat> rather than man. And so when I read the chapter four, man, I said, how could anyone say Christianity is boring? Because if you notice, there was police this, there was jail, there was an arrest, there were crowds, there was healing, there was a miracle, there was an earthquake there at the end. And you know, how can you say that Christianity is boring? Now today, we are experiencing government persecution here. Now it was pretty bad during the Obama years. And even President Trump is so pro-Christian, so pro-Jew, so pro-religious liberty, 
but yet you still have people in the deep state and in areas of government that are still uh, performing what we call active and open opposition to Christianity. I mean, you've seen it in schools, even today, military, government, work, homeowners associations, in the media, in culture. And the early church experienced government persecution and uh, resistance as well, just like we have here today. You know, I'll share with you some, just some really quick examples of even today in our country, just the last few years. Here it is, I'll just, just read a few of these here. Even today, here's a state employee in Minnesota who was barred from parking his car in the state parking lot because he had a religious sticker on the bumper. Here's a five-year-old kindergarten student in Saratoga Springs, New York. He was forbidden to say a prayer over his lunch and was scolded by a teacher for doing so. Here we have a military honor guardsman was removed from his position saying, why? Because he said, God bless you and this family and God bless the United States of America while presenting a folded flag to a family during a military funeral. A statement that the funeral uh, and the family there at the funeral requested to be made at the funeral. Here's a senior citizen in Texas. Media at a community center. They were prohibited from praying over their own meals. You have a library in Russellville, Kentucky. With a, an employee, rather, at the library was barred from wearing her necklace because it had a small cross on it. Uh, there's a whole bunch more. Here is a college student serving as residential assistant in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, from prohibited from holding Bible studies in their own watch, private dorm rooms. Let's go to a third grader in Arano, Maine, who wore a t-shirt uh, with the words that said Jesus Christ. He was required to turn the shirt inside out so the words could not be seen. Here's a school official in St. Louis, Missouri, caught an elementary student by himself praying over his lunch. He lifted the student from the seat, reprimanded him in front of the other students, and took him to the principal's office who ordered him, listen to this, ordered him to stop praying. You know, an individual student may not say a voluntary prayer at a football game during graduation or any other school event. That, you're seeing that all over the country. You're seeing cadets at military academies who may not engage in offering prayers, voluntary prayers, over their meals. Choirs that may not sing a religious song as part of a school concert. There are schools and libraries and schools that are not allowed to place a Bible in the classroom library. There's an individual student who may not write a research paper on a religious topic or draw religious artwork in art class or carry personal Bibles, you know, on the school grounds. And it's all over the country and it's all, it's varying degrees. But let's face it, as Peter and John in Acts 4 did, face the active and open opposition to their Christianity and for them healing someone who was lame and preaching the gospel. So even today, we have to deal with it. So let me take this, this uh, scripture passage. I'll break it down and hope it, hope it will glean some really great principles from it. The first thing I found here, what I call the council. Uh, the council 
reacting to the courage of the apostles. That was verse 13 through verse 18 of Acts chapter 4. Let me read a little bit of it, just kind of remind you, you know, get your feet wet with it. Verse 13 said the God of uh, chapter 4, it said Peter, and when they saw Peter, the boldness of Peter and John, the courage, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled that they had realized that they had been with Jesus. They acted with, reacted with surprise. The word there, courage, means boldness. In the Greek language, it means to tell everything that they could. But so funny, they use the phrase unschooled and ordinary men. In another version, it says here, uneducated and untrained men, which means that they were unlettered. They were without, quote, technical religious training. They did not attend the professional schools of the rabbi, uh, you know, that they've been kind of hanging out with Jesus, they said. I think about today, these elitists, these progressive, these so-called ruling class. And one thing you can say about the ruling class, about these progressives, about these left-wing libs, they all think they're smarter than all of us. If you recall when uh, that terrible thing called the... Uh, uh, the Obamacare, right? Obamacare. Jonathan Gruber, who was the architect of Obamacare, they had caught him on a number of videos. And I'm just read a few little things he said about the American public. He was speaking to another group, but not realizing that these things were being recorded or that he's so arrogant not realizing these things would be out in the public. He called American people stupid. He said they had to lie about the Obamacare and uh, deceive the people in order to pass it. He said that we need to lie and say it was a tax when it was not a tax. He said that the seniors, adults, don't know how to pick their own health care. So we obviously knew that Obama lied about that. There's no doubt about that. But it was this Gruber, Gruber Jonathan Gruber, who actually guided it actually was one of the, the main architects of it. But his attitude about the American public, as Hillary's was, that we're called deplorable, those who voted for President Trump. The elitist attitude is always that they're smarter than us. That's why they want to control things. And that's why they think they can run things better without us being involved. The second thing I see that these uh, religious leaders looked at Peter and John, and they were astonished and took note. These guys, they said, are just like Jesus. And I thought, this is what they were thinking, I thought we had solved the Jesus problem. I thought we had killed him and put him on the cross and that was it. You know, I like to say this, when you've been with Jesus, you are a different person. When you've been with Jesus, you're not only walking in love and forgiveness of sins, but you become bold, you become strong, you become compassionate, you have wisdom and you have discernment. Verse 14 says, they reacted with silence. Let me read verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed, the religious leaders were watching him, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Now, the phrase there in the Greek language, been healed, is perfect tense. And what that means in the Greek language is that this person was completely and totally healed. You can't get much better than that. This guy that had been lame all of his life, 
was absolutely healed. And it says here that he was standing with Peter and John. Again, that's in a perfect tense. And that means absolutely no limp, no crawling, nothing. This guy was, you know, we have a lot of fake healers today, but this guy was actually healed. It reminds me of uh, Acts 3, 2. Let me read this to you, kind of get the, the gist of what happened. It says that a certain man, laying from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. That's the man was healed. To ask alms from those who had entered the temple. He was lame for the time he was born, and all he would do was lay in the temple and beg for money. He was a beggar. I don't know if he was homeless, but uh, he ran into Peter and John. They laid hands on him. They prayed. And he was healed. This man, everyone knew him. He was crippled from birth, 40 years. He's standing on two strong legs. Today, he would be on Dancing with the Stars. Now, verse 14 says there was nothing that these fake religious leaders could say. You know, you can witness a miracle, as some of you have, and still harden your heart. The sun can melt but the sun can also harden. The gospel of Jesus Christ can melt a heart, but if you keep rejecting it, it will harden your heart. Verse 15 to 18 says, they reacted with this strategy. So all the leaders got together. They commanded them to, they told Peter and John, you go, go outside, we're gonna get together. We have to confer and talk about you guys. Verse 16, they were freaking out. They said, what can we do with these guys? There's the miracle here. We can't doubt the miracle because there's the guy standing, right? And verse 17 says that, so they, they, they said, uh, so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them, right? Let's slap their hands and tell them don't talk anymore in the name of Jesus. So they called them, commanded them and next to not to speak about Jesus at all or not to teach about Jesus. Everybody out. They were confused. They had to devise a plan. All the fingers are pointing at us, they said. We got to do something. And they were forced to make a weak decision. What they do says they commanded Peter and John. Now they had him in jail. They didn't beat him up. They didn't, you know, like they did to Jesus, put a crown of thorns on his head, crucify him. They commanded them. There was a, this, is a, this means this is a very weak way of saying, you guys stop it. How did Dr. Luke know? Now remember, this is from the, the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, who actually traveled with Paul. How did Dr. Luke know what went on in the private discussion of the Sanhedrin? And I'll tell you how he knew. Very likely, a brilliant, young, dynamic rabbi by the name of Saul of Tarsus was present. And by the way, Saul of Tarsus later became Paul the Apostle. I believe it was Saul, who was part of the Sanhedrin, reported this to Luke. That brings us to the second major point, the apostles, responding to the command of the council. Now, verse 19 and following, I'll just kind of skim through this. Peter and John answered them after they were threatened. They said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God your judge, 
for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, if you go to Acts 5.29, listen to this. Acts 5.29. And to me, this is the key of the whole thing. Speaking about being in prison, speaking out them, people wanting the, the government to, to shut up, not to heal anymore, not to um, uh, preach the gospel, which, you know, we have the freedom of speech here, not to say what's on your mind. Verse 29 of chapter 5, listen to this. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. Now, it's this to me is the crux of the matter. The Bible is clear in Romans 13, 1 Peter chapter 2. Christians are to obey governments. We're to pay our taxes. We're to be good citizens. You know, and I think Christians are the best citizens of the world. Governments are put in place to carry out his law, not God's. God's law, not man's law. But if a government commands us to do something that violates God's word, forbid us from doing something God commands, we are to obey God rather than man. You take that principle, you could apply it a hundred different ways. You have nurses. The Bible clearly says that abortion is a murder of a baby. So you have nurses and doctors that are being forced sometimes to violate their conscience and to abort that baby. When God says that life is precious, when God is totally against killing and taking that life. I could go on and on. There's a million examples out there that sometimes the government commands us to do something that's wrong and that violates God's word. When that comes, we take the Acts 5.29 principle, we ought to obey God rather than man. That brings up another point. I think I touched on it a while back, but it's the point of natural law. Thomas Jefferson spoke of the laws of nature and of nature's God. Natural rights are based on the U.S. Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They're unchanging, they're everlasting. He says, love God, love others. The government cannot take these rights away because they never did come from the government. You had these natural rights before the government came into existence because they did not give them to us, God gave them to us. Not a king, not a president, not a congress. This is what is called unalienable rights. Right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, I've already gone through some of this, just give you a brief primer on it. We have the right to own property, to bear arms. You have the right to protect yourself. You have the right to have free speech. You have the right to practice your faith. You have the right to assemble privately in your home to have Bible study. You have the right to enjoy the fruits of your labor, personal security. I mean, all of these come, came from God. They didn't come from the government. So the government has no right to take this away from you. Now, it's too bad the Sanhedrin forgot the Old Testament. There are several instances in the Old Testament where the Jews obeyed God rather than man. If you recall the Israelite midwives in Egypt, 
refused to kill the male Hebrew babies. They were commanded by Pharaoh to take every baby. Now, the, the Jews were slaves, all right, <clears throat> to the Egyptians. And they were multiplying. And so the Pharaoh said to the midwives, Israelite midwives who were birthing, helping birth these babies, they said, every male that is born, kill. <clears throat> well, guess what? They ought to obey God rather than man. I think about Daniel in Babylon. He was forbidden to worship any god except King Darius. That was the law. These uh, governors had put that in there that he was to not worship any god, not Jehovah, not the Lord. You were only to worship King Darius. Well, we know that he prayed three times a day with an open window. He was put in the lion's den. Daniel didn't stop praying. He obeyed God rather than man. If you go along in the scripture here in verse 21 and 22, they still are reluctant. They're stymied. They're chickens. The people are rejoicing. I mean, let me just read even verse 23 here of Acts chapter 4 here. Um, it says that being let go, that was Peter and John were let go, they went to their own companions, went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they gave a report about what happened. Now, here's the third major point, the church. Returning to the power of Pentecost. Verse 24 through 31. Verse 24 and 29, they had a confident prayer. And so verse 24, I'm not going to read the whole prayer to you. I just read that first part. So when they heard that they raised their voices to God with one accord the, the, and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. It's a fantastic prayer. You'll have to go back and read it yourself. They were together uh, in unity, in fellowship. They took verse 24, they prayed and, and used the phrase, the sovereign Lord. Now that word sovereign Lord, all right, has a meaning. Now, it, I think in verse in one, uh, two different versions, my one version I have here, it uses the phrase, the Lord. There's another version, I believe in 24, it's a sovereign Lord. Okay, one is the NIV, one is the new uh, King James Version of the Bible. But that's important because the word is a different word for Lord. In the Greek, it's despotis. Despotis is where we get our word despot from. In the English, it's a very negative word. It refers to a harsh dictatorial ruler. But in the Greek language, this word means the one who is in complete control, absolute ruler, final authority. God is the final authority in life is what they're saying. He is the Lord. He is in control. He is the absolute ruler. Again, they go in verse 24 through 26, 27, 28, 29, verse 30, and they talk about God, the character of God, the creator of God, how God is correct and how God conquers all. And Again, we won't go into that. And then in verse 29 and 30, I want you to notice this courageous petition. But watch this. This is from Acts 4. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, they didn't pray for protection, did they? They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for asylum. They didn't pray for rescue. 
They didn't, did not even pray for revenge and they didn't even pray for retribution. They prayed for more, more boldness. They prayed for more courage. They prayed for more power, more signs, more miracles, more wonders, more healing. They prayed for greater works. The funny thing about persecution, you think persecution would shut the church up? Persecution, I believe, is the water that makes the church grow. Pure persecution can propel the church toward the purpose and power of God. I hear in Iran, there's a great underground revival of people coming to the Lord and getting right with God. I heard the same thing as in China, North Korea. There's an underground movement of the gospel that when there's persecution, it makes the church not die, but actually get stronger and grow. Now it says here in verse 31, after they prayed, the places where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the spoke the word of God with boldness. Now that little phrase, shaken, uh, that actually means there was a mini earthquake. Good stuff happens after, after we pray. God moves, lives are rescued after we prayed. God does stuff that, and the word shaken there is, is another cool word in the Greek language. It means to agitate. It speaks of the acts of the winds and the wave. It's an earthquake. And in the Greek, it's a metaphor. And, and here's the metaphor. It's, it speaks of loosing of a ship from its moor during a storm. So here's a token of God's power and presence. It was a physical manifestation. God was giving them thumbs up. They were all filled with the Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And today it is the God who speaks with fire who will win. It is when we speak with boldness we think change. Here in America, everything is tolerated in America except Christianity. The day will come, maybe has arrived, when we will, might have to face civil opposition. Now, you know, I talked about the pastors in Houston a few years ago having to face that being asked, they were not, they didn't want them, the leaders, the mayor didn't want them to speak about homosexuality or, or the gender and all that other stuff. But thank God that got voted down. But time might come where we'll face civil opposition into our faith. But we must be filled with the spirit and stand in public and say, thus saith the Lord without fear and without apology. You know, I think that our president God put him there for a reason. They say that sometimes the moment makes the man. God put him there for a reason. And this reason, I believe, is buying us time. This president, no matter what you think about it or say about him, is a pro-free speech, pro-religious liberty president. A president who has actually backed up what he said, who is actually promoting and totally 100% behind the state of Israel. God has said that when you're behind Israel, when you bless Israel, I will bless you. If you curse Israel, I will curse you. He stands with Christians. He stands with the Jews. He even stands with the Muslims. He stands with you being able to uh, uh, share your faith, practice your faith. My friend, the principle is this. 
when God says yes and the government says no, we need to stand on God's side. When we're faced with issues that the government says, you do this, you do that, don't do this, don't do that, and we know it clearly violates the Word of God, we as believers must make a decision and we must make an Acts 5.29 decision. We ought to obey God rather than man. Thanks for listening. See you next time.